This is the fourth taped interview with Colin Lister in his home in Perth, Western Australia, on the 11th of the 12th, 2006, for the Cottesloe, Mosman Park and Peppermint Grove Oral History Project. And the interviewer is John Bannister. Now, Colin, you've been speaking about some of your jobs and uh, being a fisherman. You'd spoken about your wartime service. But I wanted to talk to you uh, a bit more about your work at the sugar refinery. Yeah, well, it was... When did you first start working there? Oh, God, no. It was, it was when I first got a bit of casual work there. It was 1939. Then, of course, away to the war we went. And then I, I came back... Well, I couldn't tell you exactly when I started over there. But we came back working on the... stacking it when it used to come up by transport. Well, then it got... The railways couldn't keep up with it. So then, as I told you, Manford got the contract carting it. Well, he hired anybody... What 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 it was willing to work carting sugar up? It came up in about, oh, I suppose about a, a truck would have about a hundred bags on it. It was all stood up, and then the driver and two blokes on the ground put it into slings, and it was winched up and stacked. And then it was carted in the sort of a little bowl and dry, drays they were, up to what they call the cut-in. Well, that was where it was, where it was opened up and tipped down this hole and it went along a band un, underneath and then up into the reef, into the uh, melt house. Everything went back to, back to liquid and then it went through a, a press well, the press in, in the, mixed up in this was a, called supercell. It was like a clay. And when when that got to the these big rounds, what's the names, it was forced through then. The liquid was forced through. And the only thing that could go for, for all, the in, all the impurities and everything that was in it stopped there at the mud. And then it went... From there across to the to the char house went went the char house was all burnt bone and it went down these tanks till it was clean then and then it went over to be to the reef to the uh, where it was ref, refined it was boiled up and they sh they sh what they they shot it when they put a just for a minute, this thing went like this and just started to, to crystallise and they gave them the, the, the grain. Hmm. And then it, it was taken down below into centrifugal things and washed. The, the, any liquid in it was washed. Then it was dropped down and went into a dryer. And the dryer went round and round and till it was dry and then when it was all bagged up and then they 70 pound bags and that was the end of it. it went 
into the refined store and out on the trucks and away. And you mentioned trucks. I understand that there was uh, quite an extensive railway line system. No, it was only just a single line. Went out and then back again. They went through the cutting at the back of the mountain. Mount Lyle, they came, came up past the big storage shed, Mount Lyle's storage shed, went out there, went across where the Parrot Oval is now, with the cutting and all, everything's all gone. It's a whole different setup to what it was. See, all, all the, the, in the early days, all the superphosphate was all guarded up to the refinery. The, thereby rail. Then they came, they couldn't keep up with it, and it came to Bell Brothers got the contract, carting it off the wharf. They carted it off the wharf here, and up, they had two superphosphate works up at Bassendine, Cresco and Cummings met Mount Lyle. You're mentioning the sugar works, and I wanted to talk to you about the sugar works because you remember it, seeing it being built. Yeah, it was started in 1920 when they levelled the ground in 27, and then the the, the, the pans, as they called them, what boiled the sugar up, what where the sugar was actually manu- manufactured, came from South Australia. That. There'd been a fire there and they dropped them down. But there was nothing. That's what I've just told you what, what went on there. That was it. Mm. And of course there was overtime. Pretty, when when the, this had to be stacked, we were getting any good good money in them days. Basic wage was around about, oh, I suppose might have been 10 quid. We was in the 20 and more. And that was it. Well, let's talk about that. You mentioned working at the at the refinery. Yeah. And you mentioned, mentioned initial jobs being literally sort of unloading the trucks. Yeah. What, what would your duties extend to when you worked there properly after the war? Well, I worked on the stacks. Then I worked on the winches, lifting it up to stack it. And how high would these stacks be? Well, 60 feet. So you're talking about these stacks, 60 feet high. Yeah. And you were talking about the winches. Let's talk about how the winches were operated. Steam winches. Yep. They were steam. They were driven with, with steam and the went rope, rope, what's the name? Started down there on, and went up there to the top round. Was all driven by ropes. The steam in, engine and then spun the what's the name around. Yep. And up S- it went. The spin wheel and, and belts. Yep. The no belts, only rope. Right. Okay. Rope was thick ropes like that. Hmm. And they were friction winches. When you lifted them up, you grabbed this what was going around on that, wound the wire up. There was nothing in that lot. Hmm. Who do you mem- remember being involved at the well, time there of was your a employment? hell of a lot of involvement in it. No, but who, who was running the show when you remember it? 
when you were working there? Kirkby was the manager. And there was, they had uh, chemists that was looking after all the sugar, see that everything was done. It's hard to explain. That's all right, doing very well. Because they had a laboratory on the ground floor. They had kids picking up the samples and everything. Hmm. I'm interested that you mention um, the chemists, because uh, if we read from um, Between River and Sea, A History of Mosman Park in Western Australia, we have the production superintendent, or chief chemist as he was in those days, a Mr Roy Saddington. Now, you remember Roy. No, he'd gone when I went there. Saddington was the first one. He didn't last long. Right, OK. Then came Kirkby. Kirkby, all then right. Then came Walker. Christ, I don't know who they... They were going through there like Epsom salts. <laughs> you remember a chap by the name of Tom Russell, though, I understand. That's right, I know him very well. He lived up five or six houses from where I did. He was the chief sugar boiler. He'd come from... He'd been out in Fiji. And he came from the eastern states there. Built a little house up, up in Manning Street. What sort of relationship was there between the workers and the people who ran the refinery? Well, they treated you as human beings. So none of this workplace agreement stuff that we're experiencing now. No, it was a, there was a, there was a, a union agreement on the wages. You mentioned that with overtime you were making up to twenty pounds a week. Yeah, that's that's when the sugar boats was then. When you were You're mentioning the sugar boats. Tell yeah. us about the sugar boats. Well, they used to come from Queensland. Uh, I forget what what the company was, what brought them. But they used to bring a full full boatload of sugar, which was four or five thousand tons. There was it come from all different. In Queensland, there's all different mills, what in different areas where where the sugar grows, and the different mills, the government, the government mills, all the brands on the bag, bags was black, and the kind of sugar refinery uh, brands was all coloured, red, blue, and brown. They all added on on what they were, and all the, all the, all the initials stood for the mill. VRA stood for Victoria. But that's enough on the sugar works. Well, I wanted to ask you. You mentioned that you would you would work a normal shift. So, what was the normal shift? Eight to five, hour for lunch. Presumably there was a place to eat at the refinery. Eh? 
Presumably there was a, a lunch? Yeah. There was a, a lunch room and all, everything was supplied. You've got to realise it was miles away from, from everything. There wasn't a proper road, as I understand, for a long time. Yeah, there was a road right inside the refinery. There was a road round, round to the to the laboratory. But I understand from the refinery to place like Stirling Highway, for instance, there wasn't oh, much Christ of a road. No, no. That's what that's what caused that uh, McCabe Street to be built because all the transport was coming through this, up Wellington Street, down Alston Street, as I said, and round the bend and into the refinery. Hmm. And then they put the McCabe Street through. But the railway had gone then when, when McCabe Street came, as I said, it was all being carted by road transport. Then came the bulk. What do you remember of the union set up? Were there issues to safeguard? No, there was no, no trouble with the union. They were satisfied. There was no no worries with it. There you, worked, you worked under a union agreement and that was it. Yeah, were there any ever safety issues? That you can and they looked, they looked after the safety. The company looked after the safety. Did you have to wear a uniform, for instance? In the refinery they did, but in the raw store you supplied your own clothes. And you've got to realise that all the bags was all made by boys in the, in the bag store. Then it was carted down on a hand cart to, to be filled up with sugar. See, it's ter terrible hard to explain if you can't know what, what it was. Well, one of the things that I'm interested in is that uh, there, were, there was actually at one point accommodation for workers at the refinery. Yeah, the manager, the chief engineer, and the second engineer were supplied with and a watchman. There was... Then they bought a, they built another one. They had two second engineers. But they were on company property. Where that, all that housing business is now was all colonial sugar refinery land. Hmm. Where's the fair bob now? Eh? Where's the bit now? Well, as I said, some of the houses cover the whole block. Hmm. How would you get to the sugar works? Well, either, either if you had a car, you used a car. If you didn't, you had a road or push bike. Yeah, and what was your situation? Well, I, I used to walk across because I only, I lived up in Manning Street. What was the sort of, uh, the atmosphere in, in, in the sugar works? Was there a strong employee interaction? I mean, did you have lots of mates there? Well, well you, only had, you only had the blokes you worked with. What was the sort of camaraderie there like? 
Is it a fun place to work? Oh, no, it was no fun there. How long would you work at the refinery for, on and off? Oh, Christ knows I wouldn't know now. No way. All right. Just, I just thought you might have a rough idea. After work, would you socialise with people that no, you from no. the refinery? Go home after work. There was no socialising. Soon as the, soon as the fire whistle went, you all out. Hmm. And those who was working the, the shift works, first shift was 7 till 3, and 3 till 11, and 11 till 7. There was the refinery workers. <coughs> As I understand, the locals, well, the people in the community, the locals in the community, often ran their day on the blow of the whistle. They timed their That's day. That's right, yeah. You could hear it from miles away. That's right, you could hear it here. Like the Mount Lyle blew theirs and the sugary finally blew theirs. That whole area of the river has obviously changed tremendously, as you suggest. Um, the, the idea that there were these big industrial sites just in Minham Cove is a very interesting point. The feeling in the area of an industry? Well, there was actually only... There was three, three industries. The State Engineering Works, Superphosphate Works, Clannery Sugar Refinery. And the General Motors down here in Victoria Street. That's right, there was the rope works too. This was here, yes, where we are now. That's right. As I told you, when, when West Australian Rope and Twine sold out to Canadians, Canadians got this up. Because they could send it to cost by transport. That's right. I was wanting to talk to you about your social life, and you mentioned that the Oceanic Hotel was was a popular site for people in the area. Yeah, of course it was. It was the only it was the only drinking place. How often would you go there? Well, hmm. it's hard to say. But I went Friday nights and Saturdays. And then when the, when the, the Sunday trading came, we went there on Sunday. There was a bowling club up there. They had a bar and we went. We all joined the bowling club. I wanted you to talk to us, if you could, about the bowling club. You mentioned there were almost all pommies who set it up. Yeah. 1926, a little weatherboard asbestos room and one green with a fence around it. 
a nice little bowling club. It's got a very nice view apart from anything else. Yeah, it's on the top of the hill. How often would you play bowls? Never. I was only a social drinker. So you didn't actually take part in the competition? No way. There was no... I wasn't interested in playing bowls. But it was the sort of place that you could come together with your mates and, and have a drink. Well, they were all members. You had to be a member. You could bring a visitor in, but after they'd been there a couple of three times, they were expected to join. They've got a thousand members there now. And I'm still a member, and I'm the oldest member. There's one other person alive what was there. Like when the new premises was built. What sort of social occasions would happen at the bowling club? Dances every 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 second week. There was a dance. And some nights sing alongs. Ordinary, just like ordinary club business. No different to anything else. You mentioned sing-alongs and dances and things like that, but presumably they would have a band that would organise the music. Yeah, they, the committee organised all that. They paid the band Saturday nights. Used to start at 8 o'clock and go till 12. mentioned the Oceanic Hotel, then it would become the Mosman Hotel, the Mosman Park Hotel. Yeah, but it was, was called it? the Blood House, I understand, during the war. It was called the Blood House after the war. That's when, when this trouble started, the judge said it must have looked like a Blood House, and that's where it went from then on. Well, tell us the story that you know of well, why... There's a was a blue up there between two blokes and one it was all glass on the floor and he jumped on his fingers and cut them off. But I wasn't there. It was during the war years. As I understand, it was a popular place during the war for servicemen to congregate, given that it was one of the few pubs in the area. For Yanks. There are a few pubs in, in the metropolitan area called the Blood House, particularly during the war with the fighting that went on between the Americans and the uh, Australian personnel. Were there often fights that you remember between the Americans and Australian I said I wasn't there, so I don't know anything about that lot. But you went to the hotel quite often after the war too. Who was oh. it that you remember running the hotel? I'll tell you now from when it started. Okay. Tom Malloy built it. Yep. The next man in was the bloke called Greenwell. That was before my time. 
Then came a man called Healy. He went from here, from the, from the Oceanic, to the Bohemia up alongside the Wentworth. Then came a man called Scott. Then Burke. Then Tippett. Then Staines. Then Harry Davy. And after that, when Harry, Harry, when when Bond took over the Swan Brewery, he unloaded a terrific lot of pubs. They were all Swan houses. They owned were owned by the Swan Brewery, and Burke uh, and Bond sold them. And Harry Davy paid nine hundred something thousand, and then when he sold it. Word has it sold it from a million and a quarter, and they're all dead. All of those who were publicans were all dead. Who was your favourite publican when you uh, used to drink there? None of them. You went there to drink beer, and that that was all it was all about. Some of them were bad blokes and some of them was that close they were touching. Well, as I understand, the Oceanic Hotel, particularly in the 20s and 30s, was a respectable place where people came down from the country to to be near the sea. Yeah, they used to... St- upstairs they used to stop there. None of this bloodhouse malarkey. Hey? None of this bloodhouse rubbish. No, no. And after the war, there was very the people. Some of some of the blokes, single blokes, lived there. All that lot went living in the place. But I understand that uh, early on there were rules and regulations to be followed. Were there similar? I mean, you you had to have a dress code, for instance. There was a dress code to go. No way! No way! You could go in there in overalls. Good working man's club bar. Was. Now, another area that I wanted to discuss with you was the Harley Scramble. What do you remember of the Harley Scramble? It started here in 1926 over the, over the road there and finished up, the first one finished up down on Billy Goat Farm. And then they had it around, around the, res- after that, it went around the reservoir. What do you remember of those occasions? Well, the big mob used to come here the day of the Harley Scramble. I wasn't very enthusiastic about them motor racing or anything. As a matter of fact now, if I can, I don't look at it. It must have been a popular uh, event for people within the community. Oh yeah, they they all turned out for those who were interested in. It had become in 1964 one of the biggest sporting events in the Fremantle District and the biggest draw card in motorcycle racing in WA. So it was pretty popular. Yeah, well, it was 
there was a scramble in Manjaba, I think. You had to have these hills, these sand dunes from to climb up and down. It's hard to explain because it's all where all this Harley scramble was is all now houses. So it's terrible hard to explain what it was. As I said, they went round the reservoir, but over there was a there's still a big knobs one left there. There was a quarry there with a the big steam thing in it. And all the, they, as I said, they came up alongside the Mount Lyle, then branched out, and they loaded this, the big bundies onto these flat top trucks. They went down to Fremantle. Every quarry by one has been south of, it, of Wellington Street, where the, there was one up there alongside the dam. Well, when they extended the dam, they threw all the mud out into the, and filled, nearly filled the quarry up. And then the council filled it up with building rubbish and all that. No. No uh, household rubbish. It was all stones and bricks and everything like that filled it up. Mm. But it was a great. I think Casey was the the, the the man who built took it out. It had two an entrance and another one in it. A cutting there and a cutting over there. And they went into this. But that was all done. That stone was all by hand labour. There was no lifting the big bundies on like there was over there in the state quarry. I wanted to uh, ask you a little bit more about uh, your experiences in Mosman Park and particularly as we've been looking at uh, Between River and Sea, a history of Mosman Park in Western Australia, um, you mentioned that they didn't mention anything about the gambling. What? Where yeah. was the gambling? Where did the gambling well, there was take two place? Up, two up, there was two. There was two raids, and they got caught in the two raids. Where were the where, where were the where well, was one, the was, one was the dice game in the bedded, bedded saloon down in Glide Street. Alongside John Wills's. It was a Friday night game. And they, half the, all the blokes that used to play two up was there. And the police raided it and got them right by one bloke. And he was the station master. And he said, if you don't let me go, he said, you'll all have a train smash on your hands. And the copper said, We'll get him out the back. They reckon he jumped over the fence without touching the pickets. Ah. And the other one was down the river, underneath the, the hole in the bong, below the bong. So there was in a cave somewhere? No, no. It was where the quarry was down there. Right. And the police come one Sunday. It was going there for about 
for a couple of months and then the police raided it one Sunday. What sort of money was lost at these places? Oh Christ, you could get you win a hundred pounds. Big gambling games it was. Can I ask whether you were involved? No, I never. When I left the army, I stopped playing too well. Another thing that I wanted to talk to you about was your final place of work. Hey. You mentioned that you worked at the wool sheds. Yeah, that was the finish. Whereabouts were they when you were working for? Well, I started with them in Leighton. And then we went out south with Mantle, and that's where we finished up. So this was the wool stores associated with the, the works on... West Farmer's Wool Store. That's, well, a, that's another thing too, what you should put in there. Get rid of them black mongrels, where you won't have any little birds. Talking about the crows? Yes. That, so you mentioned... You're mentioning the crows, and uh, you believe that they shouldn't be here in this area. They shouldn't be anywhere in West Australia. should kill the lot. Because if you don't, it, the, all the little garden tweeters are all going to... Woolly wagtails, honey eaters, wattle 